Welcome to the Television of the Blood God, our special limited run series in which we examine all of the media outside of video games that are related to our favorite RPGs, whether they are Persona, Final Fantasy, Dragon Quest, or in this case, The Witcher. I am your host, Kat Bailey, joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. Um, I have to say this is quite exciting because when I was young, and, and I guess when you were quite young as well, media that came accompanied with video games was usually kind of trashy. Like the best we could hope for was those not great Mario cartoons. Although I did love Captain Lou Albano as <laughs> Mario back in the day. I love that that's where you immediately go. It's like, let's talk about the Mario cartoon. And I'm like, well, I'm talking about this very serious Netflix original drama, The Witcher. And you're like, Mario cartoon, yay. But that's, that's what makes it so great, though, because the Mario cartoon wasn't that great. But The, the Witcher, as we'll talk about, it's, a, it's, it's pretty fun. These days we have a good selection of, of game media to get into, and I'm appreciative of that. Not too bad is how I would describe the Witcher Netflix yeah. show. Yes, it is a perfectly serviceable hour of television. Episode over, bye. <laughs> so this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be going episode by episode over the course of the next few weeks with the Witcher, examining all of it. We'll be examining its themes. We'll be talking about how it relates to the television show, and we'll be going in depth on the books. And this is a Patreon exclusive podcast going forward but this is the first episode right here is free to everybody just so you can kind of get a feel for it and get a feel for our exclusive content yes we have a patreon now nadia isn't that exciting uh quite exciting and we are basically handing out this episode like the way they used to warn you about how you'd get drugs in schoolyards when <laughs> some guy comes out of an alley and says hey kid the first hit is free which as someone who has lived in a city all her life has never ever ever happened to me <laughs> Yes, uh, first hit is free. The one that is not free is our $10 podcast, and that is the Pantheon of the Blood God, in which we put a po a popular beloved RPG into the Pantheon each and every month. Uh, this one, the first one we picked was Skies of Arcadia, but then going forward, the community is going to be able to vote on it, and we're going to have a lot of fun with this series, I think, Nadia. We are. Um, I'm excited where we're taking the Blood God in this new year. Uh, the Blood God can stretch its wings very, very wide. So in any case, please subscribe to the Patreon. If you want more information about this, just check the episode at the top of the feed in the trailer slot. We describe everything that's going on there. I won't bother you too much with all of the Patreon nonsense. I know you don't want to hear that. Uh, let's talk about The Witcher, shall we? Yes. So The Witcher, why did we pick The Witcher Netflix series? Uh, because it's very popular, duh. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one. Um, it actually, when it came out, I think it generated more noise and excitement than people were expecting, even for a, a Witcher-related uh, show. I don't think I've seen a piece of video game-related media generate that much hype ever. Yeah, people were very excited when it came out. I was a little surprised because um, I didn't watch it at first. I, I kind of glanced at it from a distance and said, oh, looks a little generic from for me. From a distance. From a distance. Yeah, I thought that it looked kind of, I didn't think it looked particularly well produced. It didn't excite me tremendously. I think we might have talked about it on an episode of Acts of the Blood God in early 2019. And we, we yes. must have. We couldn't have ignored it. No, we definitely brought someone in to talk about it. It might have been Mike. It might have been someone else. Um, mm. if, you, if you are the person, if you are the lost soul who talked to us, please raise your hand and say <laughs> hi. <laughs> but 
we pick The Witcher because A, it's popular, and B, because, I mean, yes, we do focus a lot on classic JRPGs on this podcast, but we, we kind of want to make it clear that this, uh, this embraces all kinds of RPGs, and that includes especially The Witcher and Western RPGs like Skyrim and that kind of thing. And so I, I wanted to diversify the content a little bit, as you know. Yes. And now that you've said that, I'm kind of hoping that we get a Skyrim show. Oh, Skyrim show. There's there's some kind of Elder Scrolls related TV show or movie, right? I'm not sure, to be honest with you. But if there is, I would definitely like to see it. So my hopes and dreams, Nadia, for this limited run series is to periodically be able to pick up some kind of piece of media like Persona, as I already mentioned. When the Fallout TV show comes out, we can do that. When The Witcher Season 2 comes out, we can cover that. It, it really kind of gives us an opportunity to expand our horizons, you know, because up until this point, we've been mostly a news-focused, review-focused uh, RPG podcast. But now that we've launched the Patreon, uh, there are a lot of different frontiers to examine and to move into, and I think this is a big one. It is. We are getting a chance to expand our horizontals, as Laguna would say. And uh, there are a lot of game shows out there now and more coming. And I think the biggest reason is because Netflix has made it such an ideal distribution platform for this sort of media. Now, The Witcher TV show, Netflix, is not technically related to the games. But come on, let's be real. It has a lot of inspiration from the games. It even has a freaking bathtub scene for, for heaven's sake. <laughs> you're right. I, I totally missed that, but you're completely right. It does have the bathtub scene. It, but yes, generally they are based upon the Witcher uh, book series slash short stories, but you will see for sure a lot of references to the games in, in these uh, shows. I don't know if I'd call them a hybrid of both, I suppose. that I guess what a hybrid kind of works. Like a half-elf. So if you're new to this show, first of all, welcome. Second of all, a little background. Um, if you have never listened to this show, you should know that I'm a big fan of The Witcher 3. Uh, we did a top 25 RPG countdown some time ago in which I talked at some length about how much I really enjoyed the game. I've never finished the Blood and Wine expansion, LOL, but I do intend to at some point. I've been playing this game on and off for like five years at this point. Nadia is a pretty much total newcomer to The Witcher. I don't think you really knew anything about this going into the show, right? No, as I have said in the past, I was there when the first Witcher was presented to a bunch of uh, freelancers, including my nobody ass, because I was 2006, I was with 1UP, and they just sent me to go look at some weird Polish game, and I did, and it was The Witcher. Uh, since then, of course, The Witcher has exploded. I did start Witcher 3 on the Switch, but the Switch is not the ideal platform for that, as it turns out. No, not too much. I think that it is such a big, beautiful, wonderful game that it really begs to be played on the best platform possible, whether that's a gaming PC or eventually when the next generation remasters come out, PS5 or Xbox Series X. Yeah, but I'm not going to wait that long to play it. I'm probably going to put it on my PlayStation 4, maybe over Christmas break even, which is coming up at the time of this recording. Maybe I'll settle into it then. So this is why I'm drawn to The Witcher. Um I mean, it's a classic sword and sorcery fantasy, but it has kind of a gritty Eastern European real politique going on. Uh, it's fundamentally a series about power, both political realm and in relationships. It has some dope monsters too, Nadia. Yeah, it is uh, a little bit standard for what you get uh, in this age, this age of post Game of Thrones, uh, year of our Lord Game of Thrones. I don't know what you want to call this year, but uh, 
<laughs> I mean, I think The Witcher is pretty much a contemporary of Game of Thrones because the short stories came out, you know, in the early 90s, which was about the time that the original Game of Thrones got started. Book-wise, the yes, by all means, The Witcher does precede uh, Game of Thrones or at least like came out alongside it. But as we will discuss, I'm sure there are some scenes in the in the show which are very Games of Thronesy, and I think the the constant grayness, dullness, cold looking atmosphere it gives me very very strong Game of Thrones vibes. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but it, you do see the uh, the influence, and I'm not surprised it's there given how popular a Game of Thrones was before it completely blew all its goodwill. Maybe it'll get that goodwill <laughs> back with the, uh, the series that's coming up, the one about the dragons. Uh, uh, Shoot, I can't remember what it's called. It was a prequel. I think it goes over the Targaryen uh, Civil War or something. Seems kind of interesting. I am so out on Game of Thrones, it's not even funny. I just don't care anymore. (laughs) That's the thing. They really have to build that goodwill up because season... What was it? Season 8 just destroyed everything. But at least people seem to... That doesn't really sour people on The Witcher, which is... uh, From my angle, yes, it is kind of Game of Thronesy, But at the same time, uh, I do appreciate how there is more of a fantasy element there than you get with Game of Thrones. Like, um, we won't get into it until later episodes, but you do see a lot of monsters. You do see a lot of fake creatures... And uh, that's probably my favorite part of the show so far. I think it's interesting to compare and contrast it with Lord of the Rings, a series that J.R.R. Tolkien explicitly set out to create kind of a British myth, right? Or mm-hmm. a myth for the Western world and, you know, almost like a Beowulf or whatever. And he was explicitly focusing on kind of pastoral life and uh, the wonders of nature and everything, whereas The Witcher in some ways is almost the opposite because it focuses so heavily on the rise and fall of empires and uh, backstabbing and, you know, labor disputes. (laughs) It definitely doesn't have that that sense of adventure and wandering so much that Lord of the Rings has. Lord of the Rings, I think, was described itself perfectly in The Hobbit where Bilbo Baggins uh, described adventures as pony rides in May. Or not all adventures are like pony rides in May because sometimes it all goes sour. But yeah, The Witcher definitely has a, a gritty feeling where it feels like everything is against Geralt. And as we will soon discover, that is probably the case. A whole heck of a lot of fantastic racism. Oh, there's there's all sorts of racism. Every flavor <laughs> of racism in the rainbow. Come and take your pick, kids. All right, let's talk a little bit about the background of The Witcher. It's based on the popular novels and short stories by Andrzej Sapkowski, not the games, though again, the games clearly factor into the show's look and style, known as the Polish Lord of the Rings. The first story, The Witcher, was written for a contest and won third place, apparently. Oh, (laughs) good for him. Yes, I love that the (laughs) third place story becomes one of the biggest media franchises in the world and then the... And magazine editors, I'm sure, were like, well, aren't our faces red? Yeah. Trust me, kids. Keep on writing that shitty story because for all you know, it's going to become something pretty great. This would have been in the mid 80s. So I think that's pretty interesting because that would have been when socialism wasn't quite done, but like it still existed, but it was starting to fall. So that's a very interesting time in Poland's history for it to come out. That is actually a very interesting time to start writing a uh a fantasy series and well it does explain the a lot of the political uprising that goes on in those books a lot of the turmoil you should say yeah a lot of the turmoil nothing in the in the witcher series ever seems completely friendly something is out to kill you 
So initially, this Witcher was kind of a bunch of short stories, uh, one of which figures heavily into this actual episode. But the actual saga that would be focusing on Geralt and Ciri began in 1994. It would encompass five books released between 1994 and 1999. And then there was also Season of Storms, which was a standalone novel released in 2013. The series was virtually unknown in the US. It was extremely popular in Poland. Um, As we kind of talked about in our CD project retrospective that we posted at the beginning of December, it uh, the the CD project folks were all kind of fans, like big Mm. fanboys for this show. I I say fanboys because they were boys. And (laughs) (laughs) they're like, oh my God, we love The Witcher. There was a very bad 2002 TV show that aired on Polish TV. <laughs> I should look that up. That sounds like fun. You really should. Um, it's very poorly made, and Sapkowski <laughs> really did not like it. <laughs> uh, is there anything more 80s? Oh, sorry, you said it was the 2000s, right? 2002. I mean, there were many bad TV shows airing in 2002, trust me. Right, right. But there's nothing nothing because fantasy, like uh, an adaptation coming out in the media, and the person who wrote it looks at it and says, oh, God, this is crap. What are you doing to my work? I, I kind of think about that sometimes. It's like, what if I ever write a fantasy novel and it gets a- adapted into a really terrible movie? What would I do? Yeah, it's like The NeverEnding Story, which is one of my favorite books of all time. And I love the movie as well. Uh, Michael Ende, who wrote the book, hated the movie because it just stops. It just ends halfway through where the book ends. And it completely misses the point of the book so that Bastion can throw a bully in a, in a dumpster. It's so stupid. But apparently the Witcher TV show in 2002 made in Poland was called The Hexer, which oh. uh, maybe oh. not as catchy of a name. No, that's that's interesting name change right there. Yeah, to, to, to say the least. So as we know, uh, The Witcher was picked up by CD Projekt. Kind of, I don't know how the heck they managed to score the license. It seems like maybe it was because Sepkowski didn't really know or care about video games. He was like, yeah, whatever, I'll get some money out of it. Um, and the original Witcher, of course, went on to be a success, a cult success with a lot of fans on the PC. And subsequently, the book was translated in the UK in 2008 and came over to the US in 2009. But nevertheless, really not known over here. The first time mm-hmm. I ever heard of The Witcher, and this is the case for, I think, a huge swath of Western fans was because of the video game. Absolutely, definitely. Um, I'm sure there are some Polish expats who loved it, of course, but most of us, if not the vast majority of us, recognize the games through, sorry, recognize the series and the title through the games. So let's talk a little bit about the background of the series, Nadia. So apparently the Witcher TV series was originally not a TV series. It was going to start as a standalone Netflix film, which as we've seen so many times, with big fantasy stories, that's just not the right approach to take. No, I mean, I just cited NeverEnding Story, which would have worked really well as a miniseries. I'd love to see it. But with a movie, you only have so much runtime. So uh, we're going to cut out half the, the book. Sorry. It's the same with Chronicles of Narnia, Harry Potter, right? Mm-hmm. There's just so much world building that's going on. And I think that a lot of the appeal of reading a really rich fantasy series is the stepping into this world and being able to live in this rich, wonderful, textured location that has so much history to write. And that's, you just can't cram all of that into a movie. No, I am still extremely heartbroken over what they try to do with Dragonlance. 
I mean, the only reason they used to do that in the past was, I mean, movies just had way bigger budgets than TV. You couldn't do a proper right. TV series, really. I mean, there are some exceptions, I suppose. But for the most part, the big screen, like Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings ended up working perfectly fine as a movie trilogy. But I think Game of Thrones really showed just how perfect prestige television can be for a series of fantasy shows. And uh, Nef- and The Witcher is a great example of that. Yeah, it's definitely a preferred format. Uh, I'm glad that we found something that works because I hate it when I- I'm not a person who goes, oh, the book is so much better than the movie. But when stuff gets cut that was meaningful in the book, I get a little I get a little cranky. Another series that I think would just work so much better as a TV show than a movie, Dune. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that one. Although the Dune book is so opaque that I was just reading it and saying, I have no idea what's going on. Maybe the movie will, will sort me out a little bit. Well, I mean, it's a long series and I think that there's a lot to hit. I mean, you can turn it into a good movie, but I don't know, like the Dune universe is so interesting that I would really love to see it fleshed out properly into a TV show. Whatever helps me understand what the hell is going on. Did you ever read The Dark Tower? You know what? I've always wanted to. And it's funny because I've read a lot of stories by King that hover around The Dark Tower, like uh, Eyes of the Dragons, one of my favorite fantasy books. Uh, The Talisman, unfortunately, he retconned into The Dark Tower series in a really sloppy way. But Yes, Dark Tower, I know, has like some really, really strong pull in fantasy communities, and I've always wanted to read it, and I understand that the movie was absolutely terrible. It really broke my heart how bad the movie was. So bad. (laughs) That's really, really a shame because, again, Dark Tower is, you know, even Stephen King, even though Stephen King is known for his horror, the Dark Tower is a very significant piece of fantasy literature, and to have it just ruined like that is... It didn't deserve that. And the other thing is that even though the Dark Tower books move in a particular direction, it also is established by King that a lot happens that you don't actually see in the novels, which would have made for great standalone TV episodes. Yes. Uh, My brother, who is a huge fan of the Dark Tower, I knew he was disappointed because the day after he saw the movie, he just posted, uh, the Dark Tower has forgotten the face of its father. So, hallelujah. The Witcher is not turned into a Netflix original movie, in <laughs> which case it would have almost certainly been terrible. It is instead turned into a TV show. And in May 2017, Netflix announces to start a production on an English language drama TV series based on the books. Emphasis on the books. Yes. The showrunner is Lauren Schmidt Hisrich. Uh, It could be Hisrich, Hisrich. I apologize already uh, for getting this name wrong. Um, Hey, we have a woman as a showrunner. That's exciting. That is very exciting. I am extremely excited to see more women writing stories and stuff like that for not just fantasy series on TV, but also for games. Uh, I've gushed about Shadowbringers Final Fantasy XIV, and that was fronted by a woman writer. And it was one of the best Final Fantasy stories ever told, so... The more women we have in this field, uh, the more I am happy. She turned it down. <laughs> ah. <laughs> she turned it down initially. She was like, uh, I don't really think that this is a great fit for me, but thanks for making the <laughs> offer. <laughs> Aw, don't be scared to write about people being beheaded and fighting like monsters and dying as they do. So grab that, grab that energy. She was more afraid of the fans and 
really can mm, blame yeah, her. Yeah, okay, okay. I, I, I feel that. Subsequently, she was like, all right, I'll give it a shot. Good. Some of her background includes she was a story editor slash researcher on The West Wing, which is a show oh. that I still have warm feelings about. Sorry, everybody who likes to dunk on that show. I know it's really cheesy and everything, but I liked it. Darn it. Everybody has their problematic favorites. Right. Uh, yeah. She's also worked on Daredevil, uh, The Umbrella Academy, and oh, the yeah. film Drive, in which she was a story editor. Oh, okay. So she definitely has the credentials. Maybe not so much in the fantasy realm, but that can be resolved. Did you uh, see the film Drive? I did not. It is extremely violent. <laughs> <laughs> so she got that part down, at least. You have this really, like, kind of haunting, chill soundtrack juxtaposed with him beating people's heads into a bloody pulp in the elevator. It's great. What's the point of the movie? Just to beat people in the elevator? Yes. No. Okay. I don't know. It's about a guy who... Just see the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's about a guy. It's about a guy. <laughs> who beats people to death in elevators. Okay, I'm sold. <laughs> yes. Um, she knows how to write for the binge model on Netflix, which just drew a... Ugh, from me. I was not extremely happy about that. Um, and mm, yeah. she uh, was asked, like, what about the game, the fans of the games? Well, what do you think? And she goes, do I hope the fans of the games come to the series and find something they love too? Of course. I'm like, well, duh. Yeah, of course mm. you want the fans of the game. But I mean, left unsaid, of course, is that they're like, we're going to get the fans of the games. They have to watch this show. Yeah, they're, they absolutely have to be most of the audience here. Our Witcher is Henry Cavill. Born in England, we all know him as Superman, but he's also a huge fan of the Witcher books and games. He came to the books via the games, actually. That's like a cool. lot of us, actually. Yeah, I like that. That's really cool. I'm, I, I like it when actors are big fans of what they're doing. He actively campaigned for the role of Geralt in <laughs> maybe in a way that was a little bit extra. He's going, <laughs> no, I will dry, I will grow up my hair. I will dye it white. They're like, okay, dude. It's like, no, seriously, I'm going to do it. Do you want me to do all of the signs? I can do all of the Witcher signs right here. I'm just like, okay, Henry, it's fine. It's fine. That's pretty cool. That's like, I, I think, have you ever seen The Last Unicorn? I have not. Christopher Walken, I think, plays the uh, bad guy in that. Uh, and he petitioned for the part. And he's the he's absolutely perfect for the part. Who's like this really noble, sad, angry old man, and he just kind of went to Peter Beagle, the author of the book, and just started quoting him and saying and acting in front of him and doing the lines. And so he was very extra about it too. And uh, if you have that energy, by all means, give it to them. Christopher Walken's greatest role is to just show up, just wander into movies for a completely random and amazing cameo, and then wander back out for reasons. <laughs> He did more of a cam he did more than a cameo in the last unicorn, which you absolutely have to watch. His greatest role is in pulp fiction, of course. Oh, of course. I mean, okay, yeah, I stand corrected, you're right. <laughs> Apparently over two hundred actors read for the part, but Henry Cavill's voice stuck in the showrunner's head, and so mm. he got it. Which he's makes sense because yeah. he's got that medieval Batman ground growl just mm -hmm. down pat. Very gravelly, very <laughs> don't touch my horse sort of thing. When he says roach. Uh, he sounds just like the Geralt from the games. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Sapkowski likes him. He's got the Sapkowski seal of approval. He says he's a real professional. There you go. That's all you need. Uh, the Witcher naturally owes a great debt to Game of Thrones. Surprise, surprise. Uh, the, we already talked about this earlier, but the fact that Game of Thrones ended so badly in 2019 
left a huge fan swath of disenfranchised fans looking for something new. The Witcher filled that gap perfectly. It ended up being humongous, like enormous. Uh, more people were playing this game after the release in the show than the original release, even That's despite right. some middling reviews. That's right. Like I think Steam just went bananas because people were downloading The Witcher 3 like crazy. Uh, did it premiere like shortly after Season 8 disappointed everyone of Game of Thrones? I'm assuming yes. it did. Because okay. Season 8 of Game of Thrones came around in April or May of 2019, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the worst things I've ever watched. <laughs> As somebody who watched Game of Thrones from the start. Like, I remember. Literally, yeah. it started airing in 2010 and was actually hugely invested in it. Not as invested in, as a lot of people, but I did watch every series as it was happening. And by the end, I was like, wow, that's nine years of my life down the drain. <laughs> <laughs> I just wasted nine years of my life. To The Witcher's credit and uh, benefit, it is based on finished books. Whereas yes. Game of Thrones, well, we all, Winds of Winter will be coming someday. Someday. And I don't care. Really? <laughs> well, I'm bad, eh? Yeah, I I have plenty of respect for George R. R. Martin, but the ser- the ending of the series was so bad that it retroactively soured me on all Game of Thrones media. Much like J.K. Rowling being a turf retroactively soured me on a lot of Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. I tell you what, life sucks sometimes. Interesting thing about the reception of The Witcher, only the first five episodes went out to critics. Um, Hmm. And it kind of got middling reviews. There was a bit of a controversy because one of the reviewers apparently didn't watch like episode three or five. And people were like, what? (laughs) He's like, life's too short. It's like, it's literally your job. That's, uh, I mean, it's not like they're long ass episodes or an hour each. Um, You probably want to watch those, dude. But he was so dismissive. He's like, this is the worst thing I've ever watched. And I'm like, that's, that's not that uh, bad. That's, that's not fair. That's It's perfectly fine. What was what was his beef exactly? I mean, it was, you know, it was really cheesy, right? It looked like, of course, but- it looked like an upgraded version of a 90s TV show. It has some really corny dialogue, as we're going to see. And, you know, a serious, quote unquote, serious uh, critics are probably going to turn their nose up at it. Because at the end of the day, it is pulp fantasy pulp and that's fine yeah i mean i'll be honest with you i went i went into this show not necessarily being all that interested and uh because as i said from the corner of my eye it just looked like a game of thrones imitator i was surprised when i came away like hey i actually kind of like this show i do want to watch the next episode and see what happens so apparently 67 percent score from critics on rotten tomatoes 92 percent audio score so it's like the reverse brigading when you see on metacritic where a game has a really high review but then like one percent audience score it's the opposite <laughs> of that people the audience really like this show yeah um i could see why i could definitely see why uh, fans of the game enjoyed it fans of the book enjoyed it obviously it's written for both sides uh it's perfectly as i said perfectly serviceable fantasy fair Okay, let's talk about episode one called The End's Beginning. It's directed by Alik Sakharov, an Uzbekistani director who directed several early episodes of, wait for it, Game of Thrones, as well as working as a director of photography. If you're going to try and be Game of Thrones, I guess steal from Game of Thrones, right? (laughs) Steal from the best, absolutely. 
he was directing episodes in like season two. He was involved in, uh, until about season four. He has really strong prestige TV credentials in general, having worked on Boardwalk Empire, Dexter, The Americans, uh, Sopranos. He was a second unit director on that show. So, I mean, that is a not, that is a good portfolio, Nadia. Yeah, he definitely knows what he's doing. So uh, he was equipped to give us a solid series from the start. And I have to say, having watched The Americans, that was a beautiful show. Oh, I never watched that. I would recommend it. It's a great spy drama uh, set in the 1980s Cold War. It's kind of a cat show. (laughs) (laughs) It is engineered for cat. There's a label on it that says made for cat. I'm like, and whenever I see that label, I'm like, wow, it's made just for me. How convenient. (laughs) It must be nice to have shows catered to you. And also episode one was written by the showrunner. So let's talk about what its connections to the actual lore are. It's actually two parts of The Witcher uh, existing novels built into one episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, Geralt's story is based on the short story, The Lesser Evil. It's the fourth story in The Last Witch, which orig- originally published in the original The Witcher book. Uh, it also incorporates the early part of The Blood of Elves, the first book in the series in Geralt's saga that lasted five books. Uh, this story has appeared in other forms, in comics, and on the Polish TV show. And uh, from what I've been able to see, this show at least uh, is actually pretty accurate in its recounting of events from uh, The Lesser Evil. One maybe big difference is it never mentions the fact that Renfrey, who was also known as Shrike, was apparently traveling at one point with a robber band of seven gnomes. <laughs> I know that she, she's the woman living in the woods, correct? Because she does have an entourage that we see later on in the episode, but they look like they're mm-hmm. humans. I, I would have liked yes. to see gnomes. I'm disappointed now. She later teams up with a group of uh, robber band, but basically what they're doing is kind of a twisted telling of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Yes, that's pretty great. And it's also playing into the witch hunts uh, of that particular era. So uh, there's a lot going on that maybe gets a little bit lost in the translation. I don't think the, the, the Seven Gnomes actually, they only maybe get a mention in the short story, but I think they're actually shown in maybe one of the comics. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. But uh, yeah, when we enter this whole world of The Witcher in the first episode, there's a lot going on. That's There is quite a bit to digest. There is. And they just love taking these twisted ideas of storytelling. If you play Hearts of Stone in The Witcher uh, video game, um, one of the first things you fight is the prince who gets turned into the frog. A <laughs> giant frog. <laughs> oh, not even a frog cute. living in the sewers. Not even a cute little frog. Murder nope. frog. <laughs> it reminds me of the comic where it's like the frog says to the princess, uh, kiss me and turn me into a human. And she kisses him and he turns into this monstrous, uh, horrific form. Uh, and she's like, oh God, I'm not kissing you. And he's like, no, don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> I need more than one. <laughs> All right. So that is all of the background on the actual TV show as well as the episode. So next we're going to be doing the recap. Don't go away.
Okay, Nadia, the end's beginning opens in a swamp, which is very on brand for The Witcher, I would say. <laughs> yes. Focusing on a deer, and we get our very first glimpse. It's a very action-packed opening as Geralt is fighting a Kikimora, a bug-like monster, big and ugly. It's a it's a fun battle sequence. What did you think of this battle sequence? It's, it was pretty fun. It was a pretty cool way to start because, yes, we do start with just this little deer eating in the woods and all of a sudden this huge ass monster launches out of the, the swamp and you see Geralt fighting it and not only is like he fighting it above the waterline but he's also fighting it underwater as well and at one point he loses his sword and he has to get it back even though he's struggling to breathe and it's very very exciting very action-packed and uh, of course Geralt comes out on top and he slashes off one of its arms it's yeah. kind of a dynamic fight they really want to make the actual sword fighting have a lot of punch in this show. Yes, I did notice there is some, uh, it is choreographed quite well, as we will get into later. Uh, as I recall, he stabs the Kikimori through the, the face, or through the through the jaw, I think, kind of the thrusts up and gets him through the jaw and into the brain. Nice and brutal. We, I was watching this with the rest of my household and my friend Ina was, like, she sees the deer and she's like, oh no, is the deer going to die? And I'm like, don't die, deer, don't die. <laughs> We're rooting for the deer right off the bat. Uh, there's this guy here fighting a huge-ass monster. Forget him. We're talking about the deer for here right now. Because I was like, hey, everybody, I have to watch The Witcher for this podcast. Uh, why don't you watch it with me? And everybody's kind of like, eh, fine, whatever. And we had no we'll idea. We had no idea what we were getting into when we turned in the show. So the first thing I was worried about was that an animal was going to die bloodily <laughs> on the screen. <laughs> Whoops. Well. Womp, womp, womp. Cat presents. This animal's going to die. Uh, so the Kikamora actually is in the games, Nadia. Okay. It looks like, it certainly looks like something that would fit in the world of The Witcher. It shows up in Blood and Wine as its first appearance. Um, oh. it's kind of modeled after your typical bugs that are workers and warrior versions. Um, if the warrior hits you, it can raise your toxicity a fair amount. Toxicity is a mechanic in the Witcher. You take these potions to enhance your skills and right. you can also, and so when you're fighting a particularly tough enemy, you'll want to take mo multiple potions to give yourself lots of buffs. But the trade-off is that it raises your blood toxicity and it can uh, start doing damage to you. So that is, uh, so a Kikimora can actually increase your toxicity by itself. And that's kind of a problem. I, I was actually curious about the name. When I think of a name like Kikimori, it sounds almost like a Japanese yokai or something. But I was surprised when it was a ugly bug thing. Ugly bug thing. Uh, apparently it's a house spirit and guardian of chickens. Sure. Got to do something even when you're a spirit. It's from uh, Slavic mythology, interestingly oh. enough. Yeah, so that's pretty that's cool. That's pretty cool. Jinx. <laughs> uh, so, unfortunately, the deer dies. Yeah, but see, I didn't see what happened exactly. I think it got injured by the Kikimori. Um, either way, I, th I think Geralt turns it into supper. Yeah, well, he it's hurt, and Geralt walks up to it and is like, uh, well, looks like you're having a bad day. Stab. <laughs> and that bad day is now over. Um, one thing that's kind of a cool and subtle touch is it is strongly implied that Geralt was using potions because you can see the blood poisoning uh, in his veins right after the, the battle is done. Oh, okay. Like, I think you saw his veins were a little bit darker, like that mm -hmm. cliche sort of black creep across the arms. Yeah, okay, so that's what that was then. 
And we cut to the, the the title screen. We don't get anything nearly as elaborate as Game of Thrones, but that's fine because it's Netflix and you're just going to skip it anyway. Pretty much. You watch it once and you're done. I like a really good opening, though. Like, I really think that that Game of Thrones opening was at least 5% of its appeal. Yeah, there is something to be said for a really exciting intro. Of course, we come from the 90s when ev- intros were everything. Nowadays, they're like, eh, whatever, here's your intro. You might get one, you might not. But again, if you want to talk about ways that it borrows from the games, that music, the 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 way that they're doing the music is very Witcher video game. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, definitely. It is very reminiscent of the Witcher 3 soundtrack. It, it, and I feel like that was an intentional choice on their part. Yeah, um, that sounds like it would be an intentional choice and a very good one, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, the music in this show is really good. Yeah, I mean, I didn't notice any particular pieces because, of course, I haven't played Witcher 3 yet. But I did I did enjoy the music and the background uh, noise and all of that stuff was, was well produced. We subsequently cut to the pub in Blaviken. Uh, Geralt is walking to sell his Kikimora carcass and steps into a pub to get some information. And we get a, a nice little cliche as the pub goes completely <laughs> quiet. Just goes completely silent. Everyone turns and stares. Yes. And this is where we get a little bit of racism. Hooray for racism. Yay, fantasy racism. We the kind here, Witcher. The Alderman. Tell me where he is, and I'll be on my way. You don't give the orders around here, <laughs> you mutant son of a bitch. Hear that? Go. On your own, or at the end of a rope. Your choice. Not a hard choice. Yeah, fuck that. Kill him with your bare hands if you have to. Come on, Witcher. You're not scared of us, are you? Show us what you've got. Can you not leave it alone for a moment? Witches can't be trusted. I'm not speaking to you. I apologize for my man's interference in your day. Hopefully he can improve his behavior by tomorrow's market. Sorry, Vanthry. So this is where we're kind of learning. So we don't actually know much about witchers. I mean, no. Nadia, you're you're a pretty newcomer to this show. You didn't know much about witchers at all, right? I do know a little bit from osmosis. I know that they're created by the church to fight monsters, and they, as a result, they've there's rumors about them how they have no emotions, about how they're vicious. I think some, if not all of them, have that distinctive white hair. So they are easy to identify and not particularly well liked. Their main trait actually is the cat eyes. So oh, they have cat they, I didn't even notice they have cat eyes. I know they have like yellow sort of eyes, but I didn't really see the slits or anything like that. Yes, so that is one of their main differences. So a witcher is someone who undergoes all of these like potions and poisons and mutations and that kind of thing uh, to join a particular order, a guild, I suppose you could call it of they do monster mention, hunters. Like, a guild. Yeah. And they wander the world looking for money. They are shunned by people and they hunt dangerous monsters. And it's a very, very dangerous uh, profession. And it kind of sucks being a witcher because you don't have any emotion. (laughs) Yeah. So so what I'm trying to understand is the church makes them. I thought the church made them to protect other people. And of course, people apparently don't appreciate that protection. But it looks like Geralt just wandered from town to town looking for enough money to like 
eat and maybe rent a whore for the night. I don't think the church is really involved. It's more of an order. Um, okay. I'm getting yeah. confused with something else then. It's its own kind of order. It's, there's a little bit of a religious aspect to it. But the way that people get into becoming a witcher, for example, is their parents might sell them. Mm, that sounds yeah. about right for the series. Uh, so young kids come in and a lot of people die trying to become witchers because they probably can't take the mutations and everything. But Yeah, yeah. Uh, so suffice it to say, being a witcher, not not the most enjoyable job. No, it seems like you're destined to be alone, except if you pick up a really annoying bard. <laughs> as, we'll, as we as shall we will see. see. Uh, but yeah, so the the show, interestingly, is trying to create, put in a lot of world building, I think, for the most part. But it also wants to be fairly naturalistic about it. So uh, I'm curious, were you like kind of feeling confused when you were watching this initially? Not very much. Um, as I said, I do know a little bit about the witchers and that helps, but also the fact that this scene is delivered so cliche in terms of a fantasy bar scene where people mm. turn around and they, they glare and they're like, get out. We don't like you kind here. And you can tell immediately that Geralt is mostly interested in just doing his business, getting on his way, getting his money and getting out. So the fact that they resulted, sorry, that they resorted to such a cliche setup maybe a little bit detrimental to the show, but it also helps keep things clear about what's going on. You know that Geralt is shunned. You know that he has superhuman abilities and people don't appreciate that. So he just keeps to himself and tries to survive. And this is our first meeting with Renfrey, who's going to be a very important character in this particular episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't really recognize her. She's played by Emma Appleton. And some of her credits include Traitors, uh, Genius, Click, Grant Chester, and The End of the Effing World, which came out in <laughs> 2017. <laughs> that was a movie that's before time, I suppose. She's pretty good, though. I really enjoyed her performance as Renfrey. She, I think she gave a very, mm, the word I'm looking for is sympathetic. Yes, they're very sympathetic, very convincing. Um, Charismatic. Charismatic, yes. You don't know what her intentions are f when you first meet her. And to me, that's the mark of a good, mysterious character. Like, one that keeps you guessing until they finally do tilt their hand. Uh, Geralt has a drink with Renfrey, and he's still trying to sell his carcass. And he ends up meeting up with a young girl named Marilka, which is an opportunity for some more exposition. That's not a thing. So you've killed the rest. I think that means you're a hero. My mother says you're the offspring of foul sorcery, a diabolic creation, filthy degenerate born of hell. Have you ever been to hell? I've never even left love again. Because my mother's never left love again. And if it's good enough for Labushi, then it's good enough for Marilka. That's my name. Marilka. Like milk. What's your name? Geralt. Like Geralt. Nice. Where are you from, Geralt? Rivia. I don't know where that is, but I could learn if you'd let me. No. Because I'm a girl and girls can't be witches. Which I think is probably the stupidest thing I've ever heard. 
Yeah. I want more. I have to be more because I don't know what to do in Blaviken for the rest of my life except go to the boring old market. And kill rats. And dogs. That's not a thing to brag about. <laughs> no, uh, definitely a, a sociopathic little chatterbox going on. When she told the story about killing her dog and we were just going, did she just brag about killing her dog? And then she's she, like, I killed the dog. And it's like, okay, geez. She killed the dog and I think sold its corpse to the wizard who we'll meet soon for money or, or something. or Yeah, so she's uh, she has no qualms about killing things for her own gain, apparently. So pure exposition dump, things that we learned. Very. Uh, witchers do not have a great repetition, reputation. They're considered to be kind of the devil's spawn. Women can't be witchers, which is a significant piece of information for reasons. And uh, Geralt has fought a lot of monsters over time, and there are lots of monsters. Um, she even mentions a monster that's going to show up in a couple episodes from now. Yes, uh, but apparently there's no such thing as a she-wolf. No such thing as a she-wolf, or is there? Or is there? Geralt knows. <laughs> uh, Geralt uh, is not able to sell his monster, unfortunately, and he is directed to a tower with a wizard. And this is where we meet Master Stregador for the, Stregobor for the first time. Master Stregobor is played by Lars Mikkelsen. He is from Copenhagen, Denmark. Originally, he's played a lot of different characters, including Grand Admiral Thrawn in the Star Wars oh. universe, the Star Wars Rebel shows. That's that's pretty cool. I never I've never seen him in that role, but I am a fan of Admiral Thrawn. He also did the Danish dub of Naruto. <laughs> <laughs> that is every I'm just picturing this triangle of character voice and it's just such a what a contrast. Oh, he's appeared in Sherlock. I enjoyed that show, playing uh, Charles Augustus Magnuson and a handful of other shows. His career goes back to at least 1997 when he started appearing movies in TV show. I thought he did a pretty good job of playing the kind of mysterious wizard who probably is up to no good. Oh, yeah, he's definitely good wizard material. And as you said, he's up to no good. And he is going to he talks a lot about prophecies He's talking about a girl that he wants to kill. And this is where we learn about the overall story and what he is trying to accomplish because he's trying to kill the worst kind of per the worst kind of monster, man. Turns out it's man. man. It's always man. Or in this case, woman. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, if it's, when they say man, they mean woman usually. Have you ever heard of the curse of the black sun? First full eclipse in 1,200 years. It marked the imminent return of Lilith. Demon goddess of the night, sent to exterminate the human race. According to the wise mage Eltibelt, Lilith's path was to be prepared by 60 women wearing gold crowns who'd fill the river valleys with blood. Hmm. Doesn't rhyme. All good predictions rhyme. I studied the girls born around the black sun and I found horrendous internal mutations among them. I tried to cure them, lock them in towers for safekeeping, but the girls always died. Internal mutations. They were autopsied, of course, to confirm my suspicions. But eliminating these women was the lesser evil. 
They could have drowned entire kingdoms in blood. If you've been alive during Fagus Rebellion, seen what I saw. Innocent women are dead. Hmm. But not Renfrey, the beautiful one. She's after you. Me <laughs> after you. I love Geralt's voice in this. It's just so, I'm Batman. <laughs> uh, oh, there was another line as well. There's a lot of oomphs uh, from Geralt uh, that is very appropriate to the, to the TV show. I mean, he just has that rolled down pad, I have to say. Yeah, definitely. Uh, not a man of many words, but every word he has to say is quite meaningful. This is also where they start to hammer into you what the episode theme is because they you're going to learn, we're going to take the hammer and you're going to learn it's the lesser evil, the lesser of yeah. two evils. There's a lot of that going on where they say lesser lesser evil, lesser evil. And the Geralt's lesser like, evil. Geralt's like, evil is evil. And they're like, no, there's a lesser evil. And they, they kind of go on about that a bit. The show pulls out a baseball bat. Evil, lesser <laughs> evil. You need to know. Not there's yet. A, there's the a, show's about the lesser evil. There's a big bat called evil and a small bat called lesser evil. <laughs> it thinks about. It makes me think of the gag from Master and Commander where he makes the extremely bad pun about the lesser of two weevils. Great movie. <laughs> you should totally watch it. I already love that. Yes. Uh, so a few things that are important about this episode. One thing that really establishes Nadia is that Geralt, in the D and D kind of uh, neutral alignment, you know, you have your mm. chaotic evil and your lawful good. Neutral uh, Geralt would theoretically be true neutral. He is definitely true neutral, one hundred percent. Not a character that you see very often. A character alignment, rather. It's kind of hard to do a true neutral character. I imagine he will take on some morals that will shift him one way or the other. The thing is, is that he's not true neutral. He just wants to be true neutral. He's he actually thinks more, he's true neutral. Yeah. He's more neutral good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and that is actually kind of the point of the show is that no matter how much Geralt doesn't want to get involved, he can't stop himself getting involved. He's always going to get involved. <laughs> I mean, he's a, he's a superhuman mutant in a world full of monsters that need to be put down. Of course, he's got to get involved. Um, and that is, in fact, one of the big themes of The Witcher 3 as well, which is all about you can just be neutral. You can just go about your business uh, take, hunting for Siri, or you can get involved in the fate of kingdoms and individuals and determine whether or not they live or die, uh, rise and fall. Yeah, uh, the choice is up to you, Geralt. What are you going to do, Geralt? The lesser evil. Going to brood. But he's not into the lesser of evil. He says, if I had to choose between one evil and another, then I prefer not to choose at all, which means that he definitely does not vote in American elections. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm sorry. That was a <laughs> terrible freaking joke. I'm sorry. You're not sorry. Uh, no, that was horrible. That's horrible. I almost might cut that out, but I'm not going to. <laughs> Nadia, what do you think of Stregobor's tower? Oh, uh, well, it fills the adult fantasy titty quotient, which is very, very important. You can't have an adult fantasy show without the titty quotient. Uh, there are naked women everywhere because why not? I think people did a exact timestamp. They were like, 10 minutes in, that's where you're going to see the first boobs. <laughs> <laughs> Was it about 10 minutes in? 
oh yeah, it was about that was about ten minutes in because that's the thing with Witcher. It's always been kind of raunchy, always yeah. about a lot of sex, a lot of boobs. I mean, in uh, Witcher Two, one of the very first scenes is Geralt having sex in his tent um, with a different character. So, I mean, that's just what Witcher is all about. Hey, you got to do what you got to do when you're on the road, I suppose, so to speak. The thing is, Strigobor is supposed to be like, oh, who's right and who's wrong? Stregobor or um, the girl that he wants to die, Renfri. And mm-hmm. I think that you look at it and you go, I mean, Stregobor is kind of a jerk. <laughs> I don't yeah. think I really trust him. Yeah, it's not like he presents himself as like some, if he wanted to go for that that uh, image, he would go for the sort of kindly, wise, old, wizened wizard who's gentle and and all of that. But when you fill a tower full of naked women it's like i'm not judging you don't get me wrong but it feels like maybe you don't really have the greatest thoughts about women sometimes and you're hunting them down and keeping them in towers uh yeah i don't know about yeah i don't know about that one prime while we are doing all of this we are also jumping over to the other story because uh they don't have a lot of time they only have eight episodes and they have to lay out what's going to be the main story or the rest of season one, because the story that we're seeing with Geralt is very much a standalone story, but there is another disconnected story, but of course it's going to connect eventually. Eventually. happening in the kingdom of Sintra, and we see a street, and a young girl is playing a game with some boys. It's called Knucklebones, and she's having a good time, but lol, she's being uh, collected by some soldiers, and it turns out she's a princess. The thing I love about that scene is they're playing knuckle bones and the soldiers approach. And the first thing one of the kids does is rat out his friend and say, he stole the bread, not me. And they all run. <laughs> I mean, that wouldn't you? Maybe. I, I'd probably, I could probably run without ratting anyone out or try anyway. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, she's like your fairly typical princess who's kind of bored with the responsibilities of being a monarch, et cetera, et cetera. Very Chrono Trigger, Marl leaving the palace. I want to go to the fair. You could start to see why critics were rolling their eyes really heavily because you're like, oh my God, it's, are we really doing this? Yeah. I mean, you and I, of course, we, we've had JRPG tropes right up to our neck. It doesn't really phase us anymore. But I could see how a, a critic coming in sort of blind and not knowing a whole bunch about uh, the Witcher or not being a huge fan of fantasy to begin with outside of maybe watching Game of Thrones could be like, this is the most cliche thing ever. Who who decided this was a good thing to write? And yet it's perfectly fine for, for a show about The Witcher. It fits. It's great. So let's talk about Siri. Very important character, Nadia. <laughs> yes. Just just You slightly. don't know anything about Siri, do you? I've heard her names many, many times in, in the context of The Witcher. Amazing character. Gotta love her. I hope that they make a game solely about her next time. That'd be pretty cool. So, Siri is played by Freya Allen. She is from Oxfordshire, England. She's British, of course. Um, not a huge amount of a filmography. Uh, she debuted in the film Bluebird, which was a short film. And over the time, she has played Mary in War of the Worlds in 2019 on television, which I did not even know that was a TV show, interestingly enough. No, I was, I was thinking, oh, was she in the movie? But I guess not. She was in The Third Day, which was a miniseries. And she, but her main, this is, so this is kind of a big role for her. Like, this is her first mm-hmm. really major role. She's had a smattering of small ones. 
She was originally cast for a small role in the first episode, but was subsequently cast as Siri. I guess they were really impressed by her. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's uh, actually really cool. She does do a really good job of the role. I feel like she barely talks in this first episode. She screams. <laughs> she does do a lot of screaming, doesn't she? She does. She's quite good at it, too. We subsequently have a little bit of a feast and this is where we start getting even more world building, a lot of like terms being thrown around, like Skellige and Nilfgaard and everything. Mm. I was this feeling kind of overwhelming or was it just kind of washing over you? Uh, it was washing over me. I know they were saying a lot of words that would come into focus later on and it was just more exposition. And I figured, well, OK, I get the impression that there's a lot of war going on around them and it's going to come to us soon. No, it's not. We're fine. Oh, no, it's coming to us. What do we do now? More of the same, basically. And Siri has to d dance with Martin, who is kind of a, a dorky boy, and she's like, no, no. Yeah, I actually really liked the uh, interaction between the three of them as a family, especially the grandfather being like kind of a, reminding me of, of me and my father and how we're not allowed to be together at funerals because we make jokes. Yeah, they make a big point of making it kind of a, a nice, fun family, which is not how you know that they're all going to die. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I like these characters. Oh, they're not going to last. That's really a shame. I was actually much more invested in the Geralt story than I was in the series story early on. I liked the series story quite a bit, but the series story is another example of a little bit of cliche going on with, uh, oh no, here come the attackers, everything's on fire, run, run, run. But it was exciting at least. And uh, I was more interested to see what's going on with her because of that whole screaming voice power she has. I kind of almost wish that they had kept the whole first episode with the focus solely on Geralt. I think it would have made for a tighter experience. Yes, I do think I agree with that. I do think that the splitting things between the two of them does make it a little bit harder to digest than it should be. And this is where I was kind of going, well, man, this show is at pains to cram in as much world building as humanly possible. Even if they don't explicitly have a ton of exposition, they're like, oh, we got to do a lot of the heavy lifting. And I'm actually much more of a believer in keep the focus really tight and then gradually expand it. Yes, um, I agree with you. But as you said earlier, they have eight episodes of, you know, even though a format, the, the, Netflix, the Netflix format is better suited to this sort of thing. They still don't have all the time in the world for exposition, so I can understand why they did what they did. But you're right, it is not as tight and well-flowing as it should be. As we see in episode two, they also have to introduce Yennefer. And so Siri, they don't really necessarily have a ton of time to tell Siri's story and Yennefer's story and Geralt's right. story. Yes, there is that. Uh, there is, uh, I suppose, a tier going on with all three of them. They have to have their stories told within eight episodes in an hour each. And also, Geralt, like, barely shows up in episode two. So it's like, That's if they right. had to tell series full story in episode two and Yennefer's full story, the guy who's in the title sequence would be, like, not around. That's absolutely true. So, yeah, it's definitely one of those situations where they, the producers have a lot of hard choices to make. And they just, I think they did their best. And I think they did all right for what they had to do. Forgive me, I might be wrong, but I think I read that actually they wanted to make this the main character Siri and actually make Geralt a little bit more incidental to the whole story. But then they were like, eh, well, we might as well not even call it The Witcher if you're not going to have Geralt in it. So that's why they refocused it. Yeah, that would be an interesting idea, but uh, you're right. That would defeat the purpose of The Witcher. Um, I would like to see, of course, a, a game, uh, sorry, a, a show like that with a strong female lead and all that. But um, 
I mean, if I want to watch a show called The Witcher, I want Geralt to be front and center, to be honest with you. Could you imagine how annoyed fans would be if some woman were in charge of in their fantasy series? That would not go over very well. What the hell? We want medieval Batman. (laughs) Which he totally is. Although I think I like Geralt more than Batman, to be honest. Me too. I think Geralt's a much more interesting character. Sorry, Batman fans. (laughs) I, I do like animated series Batman very, very much, but that's about it. All right, cut to the forest. Geralt is gathering herbs in the forest for his potions. And this is where we meet Renfrey again, and she gets to tell her side of the story. You want me to kill Stregobor for you? It's the lesser evil. So I keep getting told. Stregobor asked you to kill me too. Because I was a girl, born during an eclipse. I could have become so many things. Queen Calanthe of Sintra. She just won her first battle at Hoshbaz. But here I am trying to convince you I'm not. A monster. Are you? How am I to know? When I cut my finger, I bleed. That's human, right? When I overeat, my stomach aches. When I'm happy, I laugh. When I'm upset, I swear. And when I hate someone for stealing my whole life from me, I kill him. People call you a monster too. A mutant. What if they come after you, attack you? They have. Why not kill them? Because then, I am what they say I am. I actually like that extend exchange, even if even if it's really again baseball bat, lesser evil, you're gonna hear the <laughs> etc. But I I think that the actress who plays is uh who plays Renfrey is good. I, I kinda like the accent that she's bringing out to it, actually. It's it's, it's appealing. Yeah, it is definitely a a it's a good exchange. I like the environment that they have it in. The, the, just kind of quiet with the woods and calm. And yeah, again, they bring out the whole lesser evil thing. And uh, Stregobor, I got to say, is such a wizard name. I can't get over it. I, every time I hear it, I think of like some, you know, DOS game from the 90s about dungeon crawling. <laughs> so the actual conflict is established. Who is... Geralt going to side with? Is he going to side with Stregobor? Is he going to side with Renfrey? Or is he going to side with neither? And it kind of seems as if he's not going to particularly side with either. But she's like, whatever, I'm going to go and kill Stregobor. It's all good. I'm going to get my revenge in the market. (laughs) Yeah, she she doesn't care if he approves or not. She's like, oh, well, I got my plans for the night. You do what you want. One thing I want to point out that I like, obvious chemistry between uh, Henry Cavill and Emma Appleton in this particular scene. I think they're they're pretty good to each other. Yes, I think that's one reason why I like the scene so much. I think uh, they really complimented each other in terms of their acting. And now it is time for a big battle, Nadia, because Game of Thrones, am I right? No, oh, of course. You got to have the battle and the steel and the screaming and the blood. Uh, it, was, it was exciting, kind of violent. Um, I, I've never been a huge, huge fan of violence in, in television shows, especially like, you know, the live action television stuff. But it was fine. It was sufficiently brutal. I I think that it was sufficiently brutal, as you already said. Um, the battle on the field, the guy takes the 
the arrow through the eye, which is like, ooh, that was how. Yeah. And her actually the, the queen's anguish over his death was pretty was pretty awesome. I mean, they had a nice little rapport going on. They did. Like, and, yeah. and I knew it was going to happen. I was still like, oh, well, crap. I like a good mature power couple in fantasy. Yes. I, I, I am 100% here for mature power couples. They are not around nearly enough. And when they are, they tend to die. <laughs> it, it really depresses me. Yes. The Skellige ships aren't coming. Nilfgaard is completely overwhelming them. And Sintra is in deep, deep trouble is what it really matters. I mean, the the battle itself very seems to be patterned after a few battles that you see in Game of Thrones, like lots of chaos, people getting stabbed, uh, you know, clash of sword and armor and everything. I did like the scene at the beginning where you see the horses kind of converge on the top of the hill and then you see mm. another line of horses just kind of rise up from the front. And that was actually shot really well. Uh, Nilfgaard, I should mention, is a big factor in Witcher 3. I figured as much. I seem like a kingdom of assholes. <laughs> kingdom of assholes they're they're like the empire and they're very much like the empire by this by the looks of it maybe they have their reasons i'm sure we'll find out those reasons but uh for now they're just eh, we're, we're we don't take prisoners i think that uh, the term was i would say that nilfgaard is not the evil empire but they're very much in a conquering mood i think through the majority of the witcher series and that's a good way to put it. Hey, we're in a conquering mood. Let's get let's scratch his itch and conquer a few nations as violently as possible. So, Nadia, here's an interesting thing. There's a mage who appears. He creates a big bubble shield around Sintra after the Nilfgaardians defeat the army. This is a very important character, actually. Yes, I liked his name. Mouse Sack. Mouse Sack. <laughs> <laughs> that can go so many directions, and I love all of them. Mausak uh, has a fairly substantial role to play in Witcher 3 and is actually a big part of Geralt's background as well. Oh, really? I'm assuming we'll find that out later, but that's, I didn't know that. He is part of the Skelligan delegation at the feast. That's why he's actually there, and that's why he is in the castle and is able to create the barrier to help protect the castle. But um, he is... He is a part of the Skellige line of quests that happen in Witcher 3. So he appears quite a bit all the way up until the end in Witcher 3. Uh, definitely has that Scottish aspect going on. Uh, he reminds me a little bit of Tim the Enchanter from Monty Python. <laughs> the Grail. That's a good comparison because I was thinking, well, obviously he's a mage, but he seems a little different from Stregobor. So definitely yes. a little more benevolent than Stregobor. In the meantime, Geralt is talking to his horse. You know what I would say? Witches shouldn't play at being white knights. We shouldn't try and uphold the law. We don't show off. We get paid in coin. And he's right. Want to hear about my first monster? It wasn't 50 miles outside of Camorne. He was huge, stinking, bald head, rotten teeth. He pulled that girl from the cart, tore her dress off in front of her father, and said, It's time you met a real man. I told him it was time you met one too. It took two strikes to kill him. 
They weren't clean, but they were spectacular. I turned to that girl afterwards. She was drenched in the man's blood. She took one look at me, screamed, vomited, and passed out. Yeah. I thought the world needed me too. I thought that was a great scene, actually. <laughs> so two things about this scene. Um, number one, I mean, I know that Geralt is obviously doing the past progressive thing where he's talking through his horse to someone else. Um, but I also like to think maybe he's telling Roach this story just directly between them. And Roach has probably heard this story a thousand freaking times because he's talking about his first monster. He's not going to just talk about his first monster like out of the blue years and years and years later. So poor Roach is hearing the story for the 50th time and, and she can't say, stop it, please stop it. Yes, Roach is going, okay, girl, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, right, monster, Never. yeah, no, blood, vomiting. Yeah, we got I was you. there, Geralt, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I was there, Geralt. Do you not remember, Geralt? Uh, I think that it does, it, it establishes Geralt as kind of a lonely character who is always on the road and who else is he going to talk to but Roach? Yeah, he, uh, and Roach seems to understand him, which is very cute. They do have these little moments where, you know, she knickers or something and he knows what she's quote unquote saying. Uh, they are very cute together. Um, that's obviously the only friend he has. And plus it further establishes who Geralt is and what his job is. He fights for coin. He's on the road all the time. He fights monsters. And and then Renfrey shows up again and they have a conversation and Geralt's like, I don't pick sides. And it's like, yes, you're neutral. Okay, like they're continuing to really make sure that you understand the theme of the episode. <laughs> Just in case he missed it the first 50 times. Which is fine. Um, my housemate at this point said, uh, you know, I would like more of the characters making eyes at one another and kissing. And less of the brutal murders. <laughs> yeah, that would be kind of nice. I would not approach. I would yeah. not be opposed to that. My other housemate Ryan was kind of like, I don't like the eye gore. I don't like the killing. I, I find that stuff gratuitous and awful. And like he was, he he was not a big fan of this uh, first episode. Actually, yeah. See, I totally understand that viewpoint as well. I feel like yes, of course, you do need some violence. You need some brutality. You don't need that much. How much do you need? Okay, we get the point. There's a war going on and people are getting stabbed in the face. You can stop anytime now. And then meanwhile, the Nilf Guardians have officially broken into Sintar. It's time. Siri has to flee. Speaking of brutality, we're watching the sack of Sintar and it's not great. No, that's that's pretty brutal. And uh, the queen is describing. Yeah, a lot of stabbing and the queen is applying. There's a lot of torture going on as well. You don't see it, thankfully, but uh, I'm sure it's there. She's just like, well, Nilf Guardians don't take prisoners. It's bad. No, they, they certainly don't. And this is where it connects to Geralt's story for the first time. They say, find Geralt of Rivia. He is your destiny. And you're kind of like, question, question, question. <laughs> question mark, question mark, question mark. Why? Yeah, that is something. Uh, it, that That's a very RPG thing, isn't it? Everything's burning down. Mom's dying. Find so-and-so. They are your destiny. Oh my God, this is the first episode of a JRPG. It's totally, like, even though we're talking about a Western RPG, it just tr- tr- turned into a JRPG. Sorry, everyone, we, we really tried. I mean, the Witcher PC game has Geralt have amnesia. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Full on JRPG right there. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, they even go with the burning village trope. That's amazing. Oh, Jesus. 
Wow. Yeah, there's okay. there's there's fire everywhere. You can practically hear the 16-bit fire sound that they used to use in the SNES. I'm totally imagining an overhead like sprites and everything, and she's like, "Find Geralt of Rivia. He's your destiny." Mode seven scrolling. Wow, that's incredible, Nadia. And now I kind of want somebody to do a remake of it. <laughs> I'd play it. And this is the part where everybody commits suicide, which uh, kind of reminds me of Downfall, actually, the single most depressing movie I've ever watched. Oh, I don't think I've watched that, but I'm certain I have heard of it. Downfall is where the Hitler meme, the Hitler meme came from. I've seen that meme used so many times when the Maple Leafs has lost some and someone wrote did like a, a rant about the maple leafs losing over hitler so downfall is a movie about hitler's last day in his bunker and it consists of a lot of people putting guns in their mouths and killing themselves um at one point i think it's goebbels uh poisons all of his children uh which is great so Jeez. that was what was on my mind when i was done watching downfall i just had this blue screen of death like what did i just watch <laughs> <laughs> and you're hearing like dial-up modem sounds in your in your head. I think a lot of people watched Downfall because of the Hitler meme and came out going, what the heck? That wasn't as funny as the meme. <laughs> and also we get a deliberate Game of Thrones illusion. I feel I feel like this is deliberately a nod to Game of Thrones when Queen Kyla tosses herself out of the window, which is a it's one of something similar to that happens in one of the most famous scenes in Game of Thrones. Yeah, I've seen that scene gift many, many times, and it is emulated <laughs> quite closely in in Witcher. I also want to highlight Nadia some freaking dope music uh, that is happening at this point as Siri is fleeing. Uh, do you mind if I play it really quickly? Sure. But yeah, no, that's really good music. I was just like, the music's swelling. I'm like, I'm into it. Yes, go, Siri, go. Yeah, that's uh, that's when she's fleeing, as I recall. Uh, yes. So yeah, that was a really, really dope soundtrack. It's not from the game, so in that particular part, is it? No, here's the thing that's really interesting. Siri doesn't appear in Witcher 1 or 2. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, not at all, actually. So in Witcher 1, we only hear about Siri, and because Geralt has amnesia, he hears the story and goes, Pfft. Sounds like a fake story to me. <laughs> and then they mention her in Witcher 2, but she does not appear in Witcher 2. Witcher 3, she is one of the stars. Actually. Mm -hmm. um, it is actually, I believe, implied that... So Geralt wakes up, I think, in Kaer Morhen, um, which is the Witcher headquarters in... <laughs> Witcher HQ. Witcher HQ, the, the Witcher cave. Um in the original Witcher, and I think it is implied that uh, Siri or established that Siri was the one who dragged him there. But, oh, interesting. That's a uh, she's quite strong. So yeah, that was that that was all in the games. She, she does not appear into Witcher three, and she I would argue that Witcher three is actually more about Siri than it is about Geralt in a lot mm. of respects. Like she she's the hero. She's right. she's the heroine, but um, but we don't see her backstory at all, basically in the witcher games so this is our so for people who are playing the games for the first time it's really kind of cool to be like oh cool okay so this is series story neat yeah that is pretty cool that the people who play the games get such a such a significant bit of character development that was lacking from the games and this by the way i should mention i believe happens basically in the 
really at the very beginning of the initial saga that right. is happening in the books. So this is all pretty early. And now it is time for the big fight between Geralt and Renfri. We're heading into the climax, but not before we get a little bit of a dream. You're in the market, covered in blood. You say you can't choose, but you had to. And you'll never know if you were right. Your reward will be a stoning. And you will run. You will try to outrun the girl in the woods, but you cannot. She is your destiny. Renfrey. Spoiler, jeez. Why tell yeah, us their ending? A little bit of prophecy going on there. <laughs> so Geralt heads into the market and it's time for the fight. You have to choose the lesser evil. Guys, of course you things, do. guys. Guys, it's okay. <laughs> okay lesser evil. All right. So when people were talking about this, they talk when they were talking about the Witcher Netflix series, this fight came up a lot. Everybody thought mm-hmm. this fight was extremely awesome. And frankly, I agree. It was an amazing fight. <laughs> It was it was a really well choreographed fight. I did enjoy it quite a bit. Brutal, but in a pretty good way. I feel like they were deliberately trying. I think in the Daredevil show, uh, maybe on Netflix, uh, everybody always talks about the hallway fight. And I feel like they were trying to maybe deliberately evoke that with just mm. a really impressive bit of choreography. And they totally succeed. I actually recommend if you have Netflix, which I imagine you probably do, question mark. Um, <laughs> Go check out Henry Cavill's scene by scene breakdown of this actual fight. It's, it's pretty oh, neat what he's talking that about. That sounds pretty cool. And a few things that he points out is that they only have half swords. I don't think they have full swords, actually, which makes things a little more awkward. And then also, I mean, it's all done in one shot. So he has to remember every single move that he has and he has to execute them perfectly. Right. Yeah. I didn't even notice it was a single shot, but yeah, that would make it a lot harder. And then also, it's not just him. The cameras and everything else, all the setup has to be perfect as well. All the actors have to be perfect. Henry Cowell has to be perfect. The cameras have to be perfect. The sound mixing has to be perfect. And if they screw up, they have to start all over. Start all over again. No one said acting was fun all the time. But it totally paid off. Like, it is this really kinetic, fun, exciting scene. Um, If you look carefully, you can actually see... Uh, Geralt used the Ard sign, which is kind of the the force push sign. <laughs> <laughs> the Fustora. From the, the Witcher series. And get this, he even does the right hand gesture because uh, Henry Cavill is just that big of a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> I appreciate him. But it's a great fight, right? Oh, yeah. I enjoyed that fight very much. It's uh, it, it's It, it just flowed really well and uh, quite significant. As I said, it had a lot of prophecy behind it. And then it has, it punctuates it at the end with uh, him chopping the guy's head off. And, but it's not in a like kind of gross, bloody way. Like, it's not like Kill Bill where blood starts exploding from the front <laughs> or whatever. You know? Yes. And then Renfrey shows up, time for another good fight. And we get the line, they created me just as they created you. We're not so different. Cue the eye roll. <laughs> Cue eye rolls. Geralt, uh, I mean, again, another really well choreographed fight. Uh, Lots of different stuff happening as they're going with their shorter swords and everything. Um, Geralt, of course, ultimately is able to defeat her. Uh, He he goes down to his um, button-up shirt with a 
with the the talisman hanging out and i i kept looking at the his leather pants but <laughs> <laughs> that leather pants did his leather pants fascinate you, Kat? A little bit, I guess. I, I think it was because of the three buttons, uh, which were really prominent. So I just found myself continuing to stare at them. Buttons can be quite interesting. People go like them. But I mean, it was, it did, his movement with the sword reminded me a lot of the games, actually. It's stiffer in the games, but mm-hmm. it almost feels like they're, again, trying to deliberately take cues from the way the combat unfolds in the games. Yeah, and that's pretty cool of them. Geralt is able to defeat Renfrey, ultimately, and he gives her one last chance to leave, but she responds by trying to stab him. Her reward is a knife in the throat. Yes. So in the story, interestingly enough, um, Geralt defeats her, and she says she's cold as she's dying and asks Geralt to hold her. Uh, But when she dies, a dagger falls from her hand. So she was totally going to stab Geralt. Ah, ah, treachery, treachery. While all of this is happening, we are cutting over to uh, Siri, who is still escaping. She's nabbed by a Nilfgaardian, but she does a magic screen. The horse panics. She escapes. Ground cracks open. Pretty cool. Kind of reminds me of Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade. And we're back to Blaviken. Strigobor shows up. He wants to do an autopsy on Renfrey, but Geralt stops him. If you touch a hair on her head, yours will be on the ground next. Have you gone mad? A mutation? It influences people. That's how she got these men to follow her. We need to take it. She got to you too, didn't she? Do not touch her. Witcher. You butchered bodies in the streets of Blaviken. You're a beast! You endanger the girl. You took the law into your own hands. You made a choice. And you never know if it was the right one. Rabble, 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 <laughs> What's he supposed to say to that? Yes, I made a choice. Interesting note. Uh, we learn, I think in the games, actually, that Geralt has a nickname, the Butcher oh. of Blaviken. Oh, well, he certainly butchered a couple of people that day. A few. <laughs> Just a, a few, few, right? Yeah. Just a little. <laughs> but uh, as usual, the Witcher having a bad time of it, and he's going to have to leave town. Nadia, I'm curious if you, if I can get your thoughts on this. Uh, do you really think that he, Geralt, will never know if that was the right choice? No, eventually, if not right then, he'll understand what the right choice was. And I think that was it. I, I mean, they're, they're making it deliberately like, oh, was she actually cursed? Was she influencing Geralt? Because during the the prophecy, quote unquote, I mean, it's showing that he's having sex with her and everything. And the implication might be that she's manipulating him. Yeah, like the way she talks in that dream it does seem like okay she is dictating what's going to happen you're going to go here this is going to happen so not just dictating what's going to happen to him but what other people around him are going to do so it he might be they might be correct yes you're being influenced on the other hand in, in cases like this it usually turns out that uh you know everyone else was the asshole and Geralt was probably right 
it seemed like just by my viewpoint, she seemed all right. Or Strigobor kind of seemed like a jerk. Yeah. And of course, he instigated the whole turning against, turned everyone against the Witcher, against Geralt. Kind of lit that fire saying, you started this, you, you butchered her, you, you know, you endangered the girl because what's her name? That dog killing girl was being held hostage. So, yeah, he he just not a great person. So if he goes around saying, oh, you made a choice, I would think that any choice that favors him is not a good choice. But Geralt leaves Blaviken as the end credits music starts to swell. And we hear the girl in the woods will be with you always. She is your destiny. And we get a very meaningful cut over to Siri to be like, don't forget about Siri. He's going to be important too. <laughs> Siri's here, everyone. Hey, everyone. When she's not around, everyone should be asking, where's Siri? Where's Siri? And that is the end of episode one of The Witcher on Netflix. Nadia, what did you think? I did enjoy it quite a bit, despite its cliches, sometimes even because of its cliches. Uh, I had fun. I think Geralt is fantastic. I don't have a lot of complaints other than the Game of Thronesy brutality trying to match up to that standard that the show set. Uh, I find it like I found it uh, uh, enjoyable. And as further episodes go on, I found I was enjoying it more and more. I was kind of expecting to hate it, actually. Exactly. Yeah. When I went into it, I would thought I'd be told I'd come out of it completely oblivious and not caring. But I was like, no, you know, and that was actually kind of fun. That was an hour of TV. Yeah, I was expecting something really cheesy and poorly produced. And I found something that wasn't amazingly produced and was quite cheesy. Like they were using real cl- storytelling cliches without a hint of irony. Yeah. That's fine, though. Like, as I think Henry Cavill's uh, performance really helps it. And Definitely. it has just enough of a budget and just enough um, energy in its storytelling that I'm like, okay, I can roll with this. Yeah, exactly. Um, I actually, in the 90s, I could never get into like Xena and Hercules because it was just too cheesy for me. And this is not like that. So I was happy to. Xena, woman's anthem. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I just couldn't even enjoy it for that. I I just, and I was like a real fantasy lover back then. I just, I I just found it too ridiculous. But this, this isn't ridiculous. Yeah, it's a little low budget at times, um, but it's perfectly serviceable. When they give you your gay woman starter kit, uh, they have a Xena DVD in there. (laughs) (laughs) They give you the Xena DVD. They give you the box edition. Or I should say gay woman's 90s gay woman starter kit. Um, Yes. Also Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That's a definite must. (laughs) (laughs) I, yeah. So like I said, I was expecting to hate it, but... When I watched it, uh, the the more I watch it, the more I like it because yes. especially the music is really good. Uh, reading about its connections to the stories and seeing that it's actually pretty faithful in the way that it executes on the stories. Yeah, it compresses it a fair amount. Maybe they tried to cram in a little bit too much and it struggles a bit under that. But at the end of the day, it does hold together. And while it's not trying to be the games it is reminiscent of enough of the games that as a witcher 3 fan i immediately connected with it and so when i finished witcher um so when i finished the witcher i was like yeah i think i would watch more and uh my housemate you know is like yeah i'm into it i wish they would make more eyes at one another instead of killing but it's good 
Uh, Ryan did not like it at all. Right. I, I understand that too. Yeah. Uh, he was like, I'm just not into it. They're just trying to do the Game of Thrones brutality thing. It was poorly made, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I, and he, he was not the only one. I remember Katie was really down on it earlier. Right. She did not like it at all, as I recall. Yeah. And, and she was not the only one. But by and large, I feel like ultimately people were really into it. And uh, the Witcher, Witcher season one, episode one ended up being a success. Okay. All right, Nadia, that is it for this particular episode. We'll be back soon with episode two as we continue on through our mini series, episode by episode analysis of The Witcher on Netflix. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was quite fun. I'm actually looking forward to doing uh, future episodes. I am really looking forward to doing future episodes as well. I, uh, I'm i already up to episode three just in my watch, and I've been uh, enjoying it. So it's going to be a good time. It feels like it gets better with each passing episode. Yeah, like I'm on three as well, and I'm more invested than I was at first. Okay, so if you enjoyed this episode, uh, the rest of the episodes are going to be Patreon only. So please subscribe to the Patreon. These episodes will be available to anybody who subscribes at the $5 level. We also have a regular podcast that comes out every single week, ad-free. The one that comes out on Monday, that is our regular podcast, is available to everybody. But if you want it a week early and ad-free, go ahead and subscribe to the Patreon. And also, we have the Pantheon of the Blood God, which comes out every single month. That's a lot of content. Lots of RPG-related content, Nadia. We we are doing a lot of talking about RPGs, Kat. <laughs> yeah, we really love this genre, don't we? We have to. It is the the blood god's will. It is the blood god's will. He has tempered us. The blood god is rising to power, gathering all the storms. It's like, at last, my moment has come. As it should be. He says that when US Gamer dies, I will rise and explode out of the ground with fire and fury and RPGs. (laughs) Fire and fury and RPGs. (laughs) I've seen them fling from from the the blood god, fire, fury, and actual RPGs fleeing from from the blood god. Okay, so there's a, I mean, this is January 4th. The Patreon is live. There are a ton of episodes. There's a ton of RPG goodness to listen to. We got that two-parter. We've got the Pantheon of the Blood God episode, and we've got this episode. So that's, that's a lot of podcasts. So go listen to more. More Start RPGs. Listening. Start, <laughs> Start listening. listening to you. All right. Thanks to everybody for dropping by. We'll be back soon. But until then, for Natty myself, thanks for listening and happy adventuring.